coming to you from the lab where we talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Riding Shotgun is my co-host, Big Keith. I'm your host, Mike, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's everybody doing? Welcome to The Gun Experiment, Episode 8. This week, Keith and I enter the world of reloading with Dave Echeverria. Debate buying versus building your first AR-15 and explore the dangerous world of gun and knife fighting. I just want to remind everyone that we drop new episodes on the second and fourth Monday of every month, so be sure to subscribe and tell your friends about us. And as always, by my side, couldn't do it without him, the big man, Keith. How we doing, big guy? You know I'm doing great, man. I try to stay positive all the time. I'm doing good. Good, man. What do you got in your cup tonight? You know, I'm just going with old reliable these days, screwdriver. You know, uh, I prefer it with fresh made, uh, fresh squeezed orange juice. It does uh, give it a little bit of a different flair. Ooh, you fancy ass. <laughs> it tastes delicious, man. Fresh squeezed orange juice and vodka. I think they were really made to go together. Awesome. I'm actually going with a little um, apple pie moonshine tonight. So I mixed it up a little bit and ah. uh, went a different route. So I'm actually, I have a little bit of like a, my allergies are acting up, a little bit of asthma. And I'm like, ah, a little moonshine will knock that out. So anyway, so I have a special, special treat for you tonight. So you have been telling me for probably at least a year now. And in the last couple episodes, I think it even came up, but you have been just chomping at the bit. I know reloading is something that you really want to get into, right? Yeah, I'm squirreling. I'm squirreling money away whenever I can to try to. Uh, I know. I know. To, to I know this right, and I know nothing about it. I mean, I, I you know, I, I do my research, so I know a little, a little bit. But really, like, I think you, you're definitely honed in more on this. But our guest tonight is a former United States Marine, a world champion in Brazilian, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and overall a gun and shooting enthusiast. And knows a ton about reloading. So please welcome to the show, Dave Echeverria. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. How you doing, Dave? I can't complain. Just hanging in there. You know, Good, still man. working every day. So I'm blessed. Awesome. Good yeah. for you. Us, us Good too. You. So, Dave, uh, you're a former uh, U.S. Marine. Um, yeah. Thank you for serving. Thank you for your service, Dave. Oh, yes, thank you very much. Um, so first off, how long were you in the Marines and what did you do when you were there? Um, I was in the Marine Corps for five years, um, from 1996 to 2001. Um, when I first got in, I was a grunt and then about, um, oh man, probably a year into, into being on the ground side, I got, uh, told I was moving to the air side and started working on Hueys and Cobra attack helicopters. So for the remaining... Three and a half years in the Marine Corps. That's what I did. Wow, that's crazy. So uh, you 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 ha- you've told me before you have a little bit of like um, kind of like an engineering mind, right? Like your mind kind of works well with that kind of stuff, right? Yep, yep. Um, ever since I got out of the Marine Corps, I got into controls engineering, which is basically like um, like logic controls of factory automation. You know, all the big arms you see you know, manipulating material to build cars or whatever. Um, I did that for pretty much the last fifteen years. Okay. Okay. So now when you were in the Marines, is that sort of where your uh, love of firearms and shooting started or did, did you shoot before that? Like where did guns oh, enter your life? Uh, I probably got my first 22, which I still have downstairs in the, in the garage when I was 12. My grandfather gave it to my dad to give it to me when I got old enough. And then, uh, yeah, I had BB guns up until then. And then my dad gave me this old Mossberg 22 and, uh, I've said, cool. I still have it. I still shoot with it. <laughs> Yeah, so so you've been sh- you've been shooting for a long time then. Yep. 
Yeah. And Dave, the first gun, the first gun I ever shot was a Mossberg 22. It was a 22 Magnum, but, uh, but it was a Mossberg 22 nonetheless. Yeah. 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 It was like this, it's this little, uh, carbine sized 22. And the funny thing is the front end of the stock, for some reason, you know, it was built in 1953. It, it can fold down. And I used to hold it like a Tommy gun. <laughs> it's funny. Cause if you, if you know, uh, you become a fan of the show and you start following us, if you go back a few episodes, uh, I think it might've been our first episode. Keith and I actually talked all about our love, our newfound love of 22s. We actually built 22s. We do a little 22 competition. Keith actually really went down the road of 22 competition. So we're big fans of 22s. And I think it all starts from that early, those early days of shooting. It kind of kind of brings you back a little bit you know it's just such a cheap gun to shoot and it's fun and there are so many options you can really get into the world of customization and and making something your own i I, i've just had a blast with it it's just been a really really good time yeah i i love them um my stepmother you know she was big into like yard sailing i used to tell her anytime you're at one of those yard sales and you see some old rusted 22 just get it and i will pay you Bring them on. <laughs> <Nope. laughs> you know, and refinishing them is so much fun too. Rebluing them, redoing the stocks. But, you know, when it comes down to it, you got to have that Ruger 1022. Uh, that's what I got, Keith, too. Yeah, that's what I got, yeah. too. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, that you're fortunate enough to, to be working right now. And mm-hmm. just, a, just a question. I'm just curious. So you have a long day of work. You come home. What, like, what is your, like, you know, after your daily routine, like, what do you do to unwind? Like, what's your sort of like way of letting go? What, like, what, what is that for you? Mike and I do this. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It kind of depends on the time of year. Um, like, like today, today was a little bit of a rough day. So on the way home, I kind of just took a little bit of a long way because I had the motorcycle to kind of, you know, just relax a bit. Um, nice. But typically, uh, I get all my angst out at jujitsu, which, you know, unfortunately we're not really doing at the moment, but <laughs> yeah. so without jujitsu, I guess it's, I have to, uh, turn to bourbon. <laughs> it's uh, not a bad thing. That's okay. Yeah, too. It's not bad. No. So, all right. So let, let's talk about that a little bit. So, um, you are a Brazilian jujitsu, uh, world champion like that's lo- like a legitimate oh, no. title you are you were men's masters three correct yes i know i see you at the gym like i know your work ethic i know you said this is how you unwind like it's it's your thing i mean that's a huge stage what did what was that like i mean i, I have nothing to compare that to to be quite honest so what is it like to to work that hard and then to to see yourself come out on top i mean uh, it was it was really surreal you know um Honestly, like after I won, I kind of was looking at Mike, our coach, you know, and I was like, that happened. He's like, yeah, it happened. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it, it, it was, it was a lot of fun, but uh, honestly, like Mike, um, you know, you know, Mike, you, you know, you, you train under Mike too. And you just know how, how grounding he can be. Like he can talk to you and just calm you right out. And, you know, and that's what he did. He just said, you know, he's like, you know what to do. Just go out there and do it and just have a good performance. Don't necessarily have to win as long as you go out there and put on a good performance and do yeah, that. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big stage, but I'm, I've only competed once and it did not go uh, very well for me. But the one thing I will say is, uh, and Mike said this to me later is, you know, when you first go out there, it's like, I don't, I don't care who you are. Like you're going against another competitor. It's, it's like any other competition. There's, there's the nerves are there. But once it starts, it's just like any other role. I mean, like yeah. once you're in the, the middle of it, you know? Yeah, once you bump hands and all of a sudden it starts, you're like, oh, this is just like at the gym. Just, you know, I just don't know this guy. Yeah. 
Was it like that on that level? Yeah, you know, I, like I said, I had the butterflies, and then you know, um, you know, they say combat, and you, you, you know, you bat, you do the bump and tap, and as you start going, you start getting a feel for the guy, and you're like, you know what, this is this isn't a big deal, you know. And uh, who who made the first move? I did. I pulled guard. I always pull guard. I don't care what they say. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. Well, it worked, right? So good for you. Yeah, yeah. Can't complain. <laughs> So now, um, I brought you on because you have a, a, an in-depth knowledge of reloading. Is reloading something that is, I know it's like a kind of a hobby for you, but I mean, is, is there some relaxation involved with that? I mean, do you, does that kind of like kind of calm you down and take your mind off things? Oh, of course. Um, more so when I'm doing rifle reloading, because there's, there's definitely more of like a Zen aspect to it, you know? Um, when you're measuring stuff out and trying to get things just right, and then, you know, you kind of you produce that round and you look at it and you just know it. There's like a sense of accomplishment, but yeah, like a lot of times, you know, when my wife and my son are asleep, I go downstairs and, you know, I just put on some music and just reload. <laughs> so how long have you been doing that? And, and what got you into doing that? You know, what, what started you into reloading? Um, let's see. I probably been doing it now for over 50, about 15 years. Um, wow. So, you know, not to get too long with it, but, I had to. I had an accident in um, 2006, in April 2006, where I lost vision in my left eye, and um, I was a left-handed shooter. You know, in the Marine Corps and growing up as a left-handed shooter, so I had to to learn how to reshoot all over again from the right side. And wow. as I was doing that, um, a guy I worked with, his name was Alex. Um, you know, he was helping me. You know, learn how to reshoot and everything. And I just, you know, as I started to. to you had to retrain a dominant eye, like right? Because you yeah, I was left, left eye dominant, and then all vision in my left eye. It was more the muscle memory, you know, of of, of now having my right hand as my trigger hand, you know, versus right. the left. Like that was the the part that I really had to retrain the muscle memory of picking up a rifle, you know, and shouldering it my left. Now I have to shoulder on my right, which I didn't do for thirty years. Now I would right? think, I would think, and, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, or you know, somewhat on base here. I would think when you're doing very slow, methodical, like long range shooting or bench rested shooting, that you probably can adjust to that somewhat easier because it's very, very like smooth motions. But like running and gunning like a nine millimeter or 45 and like, you know, going behind cover and concealment, and that's got to be a little bit harder with that because now you, you, you don't yeah. have that time to absorb. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the, the long gun stuff, you know, did come easier, um, like bench rest and, you know, shooting from the prone position. Um, but like if you're hunting, you know, and then there's your target trying to bring up the shoulder, you know, the rifle to your shoulder quickly. That was all just a mess. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Did, and is, is, is having the practice is what made you want to reload because you were going through so many rounds trying to figure well, it out? Well, um, yes. And the fact that as I started retraining like i just got it i just wanted to stretch out longer and longer and um you know i started reading up on you know at you know becoming more accurate and one of the three components is you know is, is the is the rifle it's the shooter and then the third is the round right and having the, the round properly tuned to that long gun can, can make a world of difference so i'm going to kind of i'm going to uh kind of point you towards keith here um Keith wants really wants to get into this. I mean, like I, I I'm not joking. Like when I, I, I've I've come so close to pulling the trigger, and uh, I just 
I, I haven't. Uh, I, just, I mean, this I is something he talks about, and like I know that this is something that, like, in his core, he wants to do. So, Dave, I, I have the space figured out. It's you know, I have this perfect space in my basement. It's like, I don't know, Mike. What would you say, twelve by twelve? Yeah, last time I saw it, um, so I kind of remember it as yeah. You know, maybe a little bit more. It's it's surrounded three walls by concrete. I just need to put in um, a little framing and a nice combo door, and that is going to be my dedicated gun reload. So, so Dave, I mean, like obviously this could be for anybody, and I and I am really interested to kind of learn about this myself. I think I, I have reasons why now I'm starting to kind of jump on on this bandwagon. But so so Keith wants to start out, or anybody else wants to start. What gear do you personally recommend getting started? Like I know Dylan is like I know that's a big name. I've heard of Lee and Hornaday, but like what do you recommend? That's where I'm. That's where I'm leaning is Dylan. I sure. mean Dylan, of course. Dylan's the top of the line, especially if you want to mass produce. So so if you're a big into handgun shooting, like nines and forty fives, I would definitely go for like a turret or an auto turret press, like the Dylans. You know because. You know, you you want to you want to get as much as much ammo out per hour, right? As many rounds as you can possibly make. Uh, right. So, yeah, especially if you're shooting, right? Yeah, if, yeah, if, especially if you're, if you're into like three gun or anything like that, where you're making that much ammo or using that much ammo, um, those Dylan setups and even those Hornaday setups are really sweet. You know, they I, I've seen them where they're like automated, yeah. like you can have like an automator, yeah, right? That that the powder full and the primer's full, and you can walk away for a little bit. Yeah. What do you crazy. have, Dave? What's your setup? Um, I do, since I do more long, long gun shooting, I have single stage presses. Um, okay. I have one Lee turret press. So like every crank after the fourth crank, every crank is pulling, uh, produces one round. So for like my nines and my yep. 45s, you know, I will use that, but I got started with a, a Lee single stage press, which I still have. Um, then I bought another okay. Lee. Then I got an RCBS single stage and, um, and then I finally pulled the trigger on the Forest, the the Forester single stage press, which, as far as like single stage presses go, it's kind of like I guess like the Dylan of the single stage press. Okay, yeah. I mean, that was going to be one of my next questions, definitely for beginners, because I kind of go back and forth on this. I definitely shoot reloadable ammunition more pistol ammunition than long gun. Um, you know, if I'm, if, if I was going to start reloading something, it would be my pistol ammunition. I, I shoot a lot of 45 ACP. Um, and I really feel like I want to go for a progressive in my first one. Is that recommended for like a beginner? Yeah. I mean, I think so for, especially, like I said, for, for, for handgun ammo, um, you know, you, a progressive press or a turret press that way, like, you know, like I said, every, every time, you know, you're, you you're pulling the Ram down, you know, multiple actions are happening at once. You're making prog. You're making progress. Yeah, you're making progress. Right. You know, because like, my turret press, like I said, the first the first action. You know, it's uh, let's see, the first the first action flares the mouth and, and puts the powder in. The next one seats the bullet. The next one crimps it. The next one spits it out. But as that's going, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, you're always reloading. So four things are happening at once. So right, my right. my research, and I was only looking at the progressives, just because again, it seems like more. Uh, it would simplify things in terms of your time spent. And for me, I'm lazy. And if it's, if it's going to be a chore, I'm probably not going to do it. So I was kind of just kind of like looking around and poking around today just to kind of get my bearings on this whole thing. And it seems like you could get, and I was looking at Dylan. So I like there's good stuff. It seemed like you could go anywhere from like 400 to a thousand dollars was the price range. But what, what would you say is like a fair price to kind of get yourself in, into the ballpark? I, I know Hornady has a nice price. 
was a what? press setup for around three hundred or four hundred dollars. And the only reason I would like I would steer to the Hornaday is that the Hornaday uses the universal dies. So I have three. Yeah, I've heard brands, that before. But they all can use the same. Like I can buy an RCBS die, use it in my Lee press. Or I could buy a lead die and use it in my Forester press and vice versa. It's, so they're very interchangeable. The Dillons, the Dillons make their proprietary dies. So once you're locked into that, you're kind of locked into that. Gotcha. Now, what does it cost? Like if you're like, let's say you're reloading nine millimeter and you say, you know what? Now I want to reload five, five, six. What does it cost to change over to a full setup from one caliber to another? Generally, uh, it, you know, depending, you know, Depending on what what gear you buy, it's for me. I can set. Up, I, I can switch from nine millimeter to forty five in probably a couple seconds. Same thing. No, I mean, I mean cost. I'm sorry. I meant cost. Like for me to pay oh. to pay to buy the equipment, the dies. What does that go for? Uh, you know what? The dies are like anything else. Like Lee makes a very a very good entry level die. You could probably pick up a die set for like thirty bucks. And the typical die set will have um, the resizing die, the resizing and depriming die. Um, and we'll have the, the, um, the bullet seating die and the bullet crimping die. You know, you can get your base, you know, for about, like I said, 30, $40. Okay. And same thing with the five, five, six, you can get that too. Um, so the, but then you could also get, you know, some, some really high level end stuff. I have, well, I have one die for my 6.5 Creedmoor that the, the, it's a neck resizing die. And I spent $85 just for that one die. Okay. By the way, can we can we just I'm gonna go I'm gonna go off on a, a brief tangent here. I just want to talk about that for a second because one of my goals down the road, um, when some money gets freed up, is I really want to get into uh, probably a Ruger Precision and do some long range <laughs> shooting. And I have this just That's this right. goal of I want to hear steel ring from a thousand yards. And it's the reason I want to bring this up is you said something to me. Say it again. I said it's a good feeling. Yeah, it's a good feeling. And you said something to me one time, like people don't realize how far that is. 3,000 yeah, I mean, feet. You've done it, right? You've done it. it it's amazing, yeah. correct? Yes. Yeah, I've done it at a range in Pennsylvania um, with my buddy Joe. But um, yeah, I mean, it's 10, it's 10 football fields. It's <laughs> so crazy. It's so crazy. Yeah. Yes. Man. Um, Dave, I it, this got me – This uh, we were – I want to go back a little bit. I'm sorry, Mike. Oh, no, go but, ahead. You know, I, I mean, I kind of feel like you set this up for me, so I'm going to take a living and go backwards. <laughs> go for a big guy. <laughs> um, so you, something came up as you were talking a little bit about the fact that you have a, you know, single stage because you do a lot of long gun ammunition and things like that, and it got me thinking when we were talking about prices. Is that really the first question that you have to ask yourself? Is you know, what are you going to be reloading as to whether or not a progressive or a single stage is best? Uh, I think so. Um, like I said, if you're going to do more handgun, a single stage press, you will be, you know, you, you might get 20 rounds and like maybe 30 rounds in an hour. That's that's not a lot. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no. Progressive, you can do hundreds, right? Like Yeah, when I got my, when I, I have a turret press and um, when I have mine all set up and tuned in, I can probably get 109 millimeters in an hour. Now that's that's the third type, the turret type, right? So it's progressive turret or single. Mm-hmm. I definitely got the progressive and the single down. Or I guess help me understand the difference between my the my understanding, and the Dave, and you correct me if I'm wrong. The turret just allows you to change the dies much quicker than a single stage. Is that correct? Yes. So the 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 the, the turret basically has four dies in it. So most turrets are a manual turret. So you can you can you can you know, run the ram up and you know uh, deprime and resize. 
And then you can use your hand to turn the turret to the next die. Lee makes makes an auto-indexing turret that for all intents and purposes is pretty much a progressive. progressive. Yeah, now I got it. Now I got it. And the the reason I went with that Lee is because that – most of the turret pressures you can do this. You can – the – the the unit that holds the dies, right? Rather than changing the dies yeah. out, you can buy multiple units and set the die in the yes. units. So that's what I have downstairs. I have like six or seven different of the Lee um, circular units with my dies already in them and already set. So that's like when Mike's other question, when I answered, I, I didn't know it was a cost based uh, question. I thought it was a time based question. If I want to go from from forty from nine to forty five, I just take out one, put the other one in, and all the dies are already set. Right, so it's basically it's basically Got a it. disc with all the dies in, it, and you just pull that disc out, put yes. the other disc in. That's it. And 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 the turret one, you're manually moving to the next station. On a progressive one, the pole is moving to right. the next station. And then, and then, like I said, Lee makes this hybrid one where it actually will auto index, so the turret will move for you. For, you know, like I said, they call it a turret, right. but it's pretty much a progressive. It's progressive, it, yeah. Just, just by the way you're describing it, it kind of clicked when you when you when you talked about that particular model, um, that hybrid. Yeah, Lee's the only one I know that, that makes that, and that's like I said for my for my handgun. That's why I use it. Now, Dave, what what is the? And I'm only throwing out terms that I've heard of, but <clears throat> like, what is the purpose of using like virgin brass versus like the recycled brass that you pick up after you've shot it? You know what I'm saying? Like, when do you need virgin brass versus when can you use recycled brass? Um, I, okay. So then this question has to get broken down into two things. Is it, are you doing a rifle or long gun or handgun? Let's go both. Let's say one of each. Give me close to so, nervous. If you want to, if you're going to do a rifle, I always use what we call fire formed brass. I'll go to the store and I will buy the cheapest round of 30, 308s and I'll just go to the range and I will fire all 20 because I really don't care. <laughs> I just want the brass because now you have multiple different brands of rifles, right? Ruger, Remington, Savage, Weatherby. They're all going to make a 308. But the inner dimensions of the receiver are not going to be the same between all those 308s. The head spacing is going to be different. The chambering is going to be different. So, right. um, you know, there's a governing body for ammunition called SAMI. And all ammunition has to be made to SAMI specs. And all that ammunition, so that, that 308 that you buy at Dick's can fit any rifle. Right. Okay. But it's not fine-tuned to your rifle, and that's, I think, where you're going with this, correct? Exactly. Once you fire that round, all that pressure and heat takes that brass and then basically makes um, a reverse cast of the inside of that rifle. Oh. (laughs) Got it. Fire forming the brass. So now when you use that brass, what you'll do is when you reload it, you don't do a full body size. Because you can have a, you can resize brass either the whole the whole uh, casing you can resize it or you can just do a neck resizing. If you're going to fire yep. form brass for a particular, what you I, just do a neck resizing. What I one of the things that I love so far about this show, Mike, that we've that I feel like we've done over the the episodes that we've done is that we have this and and Dave, you just did it for us. You, we're we have this unique way of being able to describe something, you know. It, that's that's complicated and scientific in a very simple way. You know, like that just total made total yeah. sense to me about why you do what you do and how all of the, like I never really understood chambering and and all of that stuff, and I still don't to the degree that you know I would call myself an expert on it. But understanding why you take that cheap bullet and fire it so that it matches your gun and your your um, receiver 
Makes perfect sense. So, Dave, if, if I'm okay, I I understand. And actually, it was one of my questions that was going to come up a little bit further down is, I know one of the reasons why you would want to reload is to create custom ballistics, right? C- custom ammunition for your rifle, which is what we're talking about. Yes. But it sounds to me like this would not be what you'd be doing if you were mass producing for like, oh, I'm just going to go to the range and I just want to kind of like run and gun a little bit. This is like you're going to make a box of 20 and then you're going to go and you're going to let you like you're pimping out your ammo to get a, the most precise ammunition for that precision rifle that you can get. Is that kind of where we're right? Am I on? Yeah, it's like, you know, I, I have different range days. There's the days where you want to run and gun. There's the days like maybe you're sighting in a new optic and there's the days where you really just want to get that perfect grouping, you know? Right. And that's what those rounds are for when you really want to, you know, because if, you know, a lot of times it's not even that you're hitting the bullseye. Like I'd rather have three shots that are grouped together at, you know, 400 yards I can cover with a quarter than necessarily, you know, getting all of them, you know, one or two in the bullseye and have a flyer. Right. It's, it's, it's proving you can do it in a repeated fashion. Okay. So it, it sounds like recycled brass, like if, if I'm shooting nine millimeter, how many times can I use that same brass and reload it before it's no good anymore? I mean, um, probably, honestly, I would say, well, funny question. Are you shooting out of a Glock? <laughs> I, me personally, no. But okay. Well, I, I, I have yes. The only reason I ask that is because it's actually called the Glock swell. For some reason, uh, the manufacturer of a Glock, it puts this weird swell in the brass and they actually sell a die just to remove it. Okay. So if you're constantly shooting at a dot out of a Glock, you're probably not going to get as many reloads as if you were a okay. different handgun. Gotcha. But you can probably- all, all models of Glock do that, Dave? Um, I know for sure the Glock 17 and 19 do. And I have a Gen 4 Glock 19 that does it. But I mean, if, if it's brand new brass, you can probably get, you know, um, six, seven. That's at wow. six or seven reloads, I start inspecting the brass, you know, f- for um, for just wear marks, like case separation and stuff like that. But if you want to be safe, you three yeah. times easily, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, easy. Especially if you're, you know, like when I when I do um, range ammo like that, I also don't put, I put like the, the bare minimum amount of powder in, you know. Okay. That way I'm not yeah, pressuring yeah. it either because I'm just going to reuse it. Right, right. All right. So, so I want to talk about the reasons for reloading. So, in in my mind, and there's a couple others, but I, I wanted to stick to three. There's three reasons I could see an individual reloading. Three main reasons. Yeah, we haven't even talked about shotgun reloading. I want to get to that. <laughs> I've actually never done that. Really? Oh no, Dave! No, I haven't. It, it's a whole different. Like, you got to buy a whole different setup, a whole different presses, and everything. Yeah, you can't use the. It's not a die situation. I like to shoot. I like to shoot trap too, so I definitely want to be able to to reload some. some yeah, that's a whole other machine completely. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So the reasons for reloading. So I have three. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the three, and then we're gonna talk about them. So the first one is price. Second one, custom ballistics, which we've kind of touched on, and third, dealing with issues in terms of gun control, meaning the new California ammo background check law, where you have to get a permit, and you know the, you could see laws or potential for laws where. You can only buy a, a hundred round, a thousand rounds a year, things like that, right? So there's there's definitely some of that. Yeah, see, I also find like that that a whole background check is it's kind of like a de facto um, um, rifle, right? Because yeah. you don't have to register a rifle; you just go in and you buy it. But if they start tracking what ammo you're buying, 
it's you know it's it's, a, it's an easy path to take, right? Well, yep. if he's buying thirty thirty ammo, he probably has a thirty thirty. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to listen to the episode we did with Recon Medical. Like this came up, um, we we did a bonus episode about it. But I mean, like, yeah, you're right on the mark, and it's scary. My my yeah. head was about to explode. Yep. I mean, I never got any voting for that, but it was definitely when I saw how you know after like Sandy Hook and the Safe Act and the way things were going, you know. I was very fortunate that I kind of stocked up on as much supplies as I could because I'm like they're gonna, you know, they're gonna start restricting this, and then, you know, yeah. then we just have glorified paperweights if we don't have ammo for them. Exactly, and 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 I, you hit the nail on that. It's a de facto gun ban essentially. Like if they stop you from buying ammo, you, the gun is just useless, right? So, um, so when we get when we get back to these three things, like when we talk about price, I, I shoot nine millimeter, and I, I tend to stick to to like if I shoot pistols, my pistols are nine millimeters. If I shoot rifles, like I have a five, five, six. If I was going to go into long range, it would be six, uh, six point five Creedmoor. Like I stick to, that's what I shoot in that, in that lane. So mm-hmm. I know nine millimeter, five, five, six or two, two, three tends to be on the cheaper side. Um, is it still beneficial to reload? Like, in other words, I know you get more bang for your buck with, a, with like a 45 load, but can you still save money shoot reloading nine millimeter? I think so. I think, I mean, if you don't count in your time as part of that money factor, you know, um, yep. and you buy bulk brass, you buy bulk, bulk, um, bu- bullets, you know, primers are cheap and then you just right. got to get powder. You buy everything in bulk. And like I said, if time's not a, a you know, part of the equation, I think you save money. And if you okay. look at it as something that you enjoy doing and you just like to do, then, then you really get the benefit out of it because you're saving money and you're enjoying it. You know? I, I heard a funny thing today and said, no reloader saves money. They just shoot a lot more for the same amount of money. <laughs> That's probably you know, I mean, true. You, you're going to shoot more for that hundred dollars. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, all right. So that's that's the price. Point. Don't tell, don't tell my wife about that because I got her convinced I'm going to save. Yeah. <laughs> you, you said you will, but you're just going to use that savings. <laughs> well, we're not going to we're not going to say that part, Dave. That's the part we're not. It's gonna like talk. when we win money in competitions, Keith. You don't tell the wife that you won anything. No, no, no. All right, so so that's ah, the price. So close. Do you have any anything you want to add to that, Keith, about price? Well, I, I my my two cents. What I was going to say about the things that I've talked to and a couple people that I know that have do this, they've given me examples of where like my the forty five ACP a good price is like you know thirty four thirty eight cents around, and that if you reload it, you can get that down to like twelve cents. Wow. around. You can de- you can save money absolutely. So the other two parts, the custom ballistics, I think you already you already covered that, so I'm not going to go through that too much. But obviously, you can dial in the round for your rifle. That's the other reason. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, and I think this is very relevant, and it's very you know in the current state we're in, you know, as I hear about like New York State Safe Act two, and I hear the California laws, um, I think that that's a definitely a, a huge benefit is the fact that you can kind of make ammo. And you're not beholden to the ammo manufacturers. You can sort of do this on your own, which sounds like what you do, which, man, kudos to you. Like, you're ahead of the curve on this. I think it's a great skill to know for prep. Yeah. You know, being a prepper, too. We did that episode episode with Cousin Brian, and, like, this goes right into that whole prepper mentality. 100%. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, anything the last couple of months have shown us is that, you know, (laughs) the market can be fickle when it comes to certain items when people get scared. Definitely. Like if you watch the news, I mean, and you, on any social media, you see, 
you know, um, died in the wool liberals that hated guns all of a sudden trying to get guns. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> yep. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, from a prepper mentality, you know, I don't have to worry about running to dicks every time there might be a national emergency because I can just go downstairs. All right, cool. So, um, one of the things, so I'm going to tell a real quick story. My grandfather did reloads and we're talking, or sorry, my great grandfather, my father's grandfather. And my father tells me a story. We have a shotgun, a double barrel shotgun that was passed down from him, but it's no longer usable because he basically must've done a double charge and he blew the barrel out of it. Um, so <laughs> my father was open, probably why I'm not so into it because my father was just kind of scared of it because of that story. And it kind of scared me. And, no, now I'm kind of like, whatever. The, the, the mechanic seems like it's so there. But what is the danger involved in this? And what I mean by that, obviously, there's always danger involved in, in what we're talking about. But um, I know a lot of training schools, they will not let you uh, shoot reloaded ammo. And I know like squib loads is a, is a problem and double charges can be a problem. Is that sort of negated by the technology that we have now, Dave? Uh, well, actually, not really, because you have to set the die. Um, you, you have to set your powder charge, you know, to where you want it. So if you're going to skimp on powder, you know, you want to save money, make this, this, you know, one pound thing of powder last longer and you go light on the charge, you know, you you run the risk of squib rounds, you know, and then you get the, then you get the guys that, but you assuming know, you don't do that, assuming you don't do that though, assuming you do buy the book is right. that, like, I had read something today that said like, you have to inspect every round. That seems crazy. Like inspecting every uh, round. You know, I think some of those things are there because, you know, like in the curling iron that says don't stick in any orifice. <laughs> they they kind of yes. – CYA. Yeah, exactly. Like legal reasons. Um, you know, I, I do a spot check. You know, I pick up a round. I look at it. And then you can also buy um, these gauges, you know. So after I make the round, it's a little – you know, it's a milled piece of stainless steel that you put the round in. And it's, it's a quick go, go, no-go gauge. Okay. You know, so like when I'm setting up my dies, I put, I take out that first round. I make sure I got the right seating depth. I put it in the go, no go gauge. Okay. I'll do the first five. I'll check in the gauge. Then I'll just go off to the races and then I'll put, pick five like an hour later and make sure that the, the dies haven't moved or anything. You know, put them in. So the, it's essentially know. quality control. If your first five are good and you're somewhere in the middle, you have five that are good and somewhere at the end are five are good, you feel pretty safe about that though. Absolutely. Okay. That's- and it's probably an experience thing, I would say, Dave, right? Like, you know, in the beginning, you probably want to check a lot more rounds than you do after you've been doing it for 15 years like yourself. Yep. And, you know, uh, also, too, like with, you know, the Dylan withstanding, you know, you have to manually operate that RAM, you know, to, to make the actions in the progressive, in the turret, or in the single stage. Right. And you kind of develop a feel, you know? Like, you know, there's many times where, you know, you kind of you just go and get a little mindless. You just operate in the RAM. The progressive press is spitting out rounds. And all of a sudden, like, it just doesn't go up as smooth, you know, or you have to give it a little bit more force than you did the last, you know, hundred. And it just, you know, it just sets off like your spidey senses and you say something's wrong with this one. Right. You, have you, you ever know. had, a, have you ever had a squib load? Yeah, I have. Um, I bought a new 45. I bought a new 1911 and um, I had the, the, the dies were set up and the powder charge was set up for my, um, my Springfield XDM and, you know, the 1911, um, you know, being more steel and a different, you know, different kind of operating, um, it just, you know, it took a, it needed a higher charge to, to fully operate, you know, but right. you just, you know, you adjust the die and get more powder and you're fine. Did, did you know, rightly? Like, did you shoot it and you knew right away? Like it, it makes a sound, right? A squib load. It makes like a weird sound. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you could just, you could just feel it that the action doesn't cycle properly. Okay. You know? 
especially with a 1911, even the newer ones, they're not as finicky, but they can be a little finicky. You know, they won't feed right. They, you know, there's not enough, um, you know, the slide doesn't come back strong enough to reload the next round. Right. Yeah. You definitely know for sure. Yeah. So aside from just the equipment that you would buy, I know Keith wants to set up a, a reloading room. What would you recommend going into like a sweet reloading room? Like what are some things you would want to put into it to kind of make it a, a really nice setup? A lot of shelf space. Um, when we moved into this house and I looked at the garage, I was like, okay, you know, definitely need a lot of shelf space um, because you have to, you know, it all, if you, you're going to mount a lot of different things, you know, once you start, like when I first got into it, I had one little press mounted on the corner of my workbench and I did everything by hand. You know, I did the powder charge by hand and everything. Um, you did the priming by hand, but then as you start getting into it, now you start getting the bigger devices to do it, you know, to do more. And he starts taking up shelf space or, or bench space. So I would say a nice long bench with multiple stations for everything. That's probably that. And, and, and like the, the storage space, like the pegboards, yeah. right? With the little drawers. I always feel like those drawers would be the way to yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, little, little plastic ones like at Harbor Freight. Or yeah. I have tons of those. I have a lot of pegboards and mounted on the pegboards with all the various tools and micrometers and different things you're going to use to measure. You know, and I would say like we 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 just did a, th- a segment last uh, episode. It was about like setting up your your ultimate, uh, what was it? Our ultimate garage, right, Keith? And uh, yeah, the ultimate yeah, garage. And, and I'm big on lighting. Like, I, like is that a big thing? Like, do you want to kind of have like good lighting in the room? Yeah, I have I have lighting. Like, I have a, a four foot fluorescent light right over the main part of my bench. Okay. To look down, and then like um, the Forester single stage, I have that has. LEDs inside of it so you can see everything as you're doing. Cool. Sweet. How about like a workbench, like just a good sturdy wooden workbench? Yep. Yeah. So in the corner of my garage is where I have the big bench and I made it all with four by fours. That's the only other thing I would say Like you want to like really the the, the tabletop part of it, I framed with four by fours and then I have two by fours underneath it to give it support because as you're cranking down, you know, you're doing action that's going to pull up. Right, that makes sense. And let and level, right? The bench has got to be level. Yep, got to be level. And um, and if you like, I used all wood. I don't have any metal, um, especially if you start to use like an automated uh, scale. You know, nothing that's going to throw the scale off. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. So, I mean, you've given us a lot to think about. I mean, Keith, do you feel you feel yeah. good with this? I, I'm ready to go to Home Depot. Yeah, man, this is good. But Dave, I do need to get to this next part because it's my favorite. It's one of my favorites. We have a tradition on the show. And the tradition is called run and gun. So I'm going to put you through run and gun. It's 10 very short questions. I'm going to throw it out to you. I want you to give me the first answer that comes to your mind. You down with that? Yep, let's go. Cool. All right, number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? My 6.5 Ruger precision rifle. What gun would you buy if money was no object? Man. Something in a, um, a three three eight Lapua. Nice. If you if you yeah. could have a drink with one person, living or dead, who would it be? Chesty Puller. Favorite caliber. Long gun or handgun. Your choice. Favorite caliber. Three hundred eight. Favorite hobby not gun related. Jiu Jitsu. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Ooh. I'd like to be the flash. (laughs) All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Armed. Is it better to be loved or feared? Loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Rifle. 
you're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your six other than your spouse? Any of the guys from my platoon in the Marine Corps. Great answer. Excellent Great choice. Answer. All right, man, you did it. Let's mix it up. All right, so we're going to uh, switch gears here, and we're going to mix it up a little bit. And today's question, your first AR-15, do you buy it or do you build it? And Dave, I'm going to let you go first. Buy it. Okay, now, so give me some, give me some reasons why you buy it. Um, if it's your first, I'm going to imagine that no one, the person doesn't have any experience with that platform. So... I would experience they wouldn't I would think they wouldn't have the experience building it either. Um, okay. And I would also say that you don't know what you want. You know, you can do so much with that platform, you can go in so many different directions that how you know that the you know, if you've never if you don't have experience with it, how do you know that's what you want? Okay, that's fair. What about you, Keith? How do you feel about it? I I uh tend to agree with Dave, not only because that's the direction that I went in, but uh, I bought mine first, um, as we reviewed in, in one of our episodes. And uh, I feel very similar to Dave. I, I, I had some experience shooting you know, various AR-15s, but I did not feel that I had enough experience to, with that particular platform, like Dave said, to feel like I felt comfortable to build it. And I thought this was a great way for me to get into it. You know, Mike, you know I like to tinker. I take that thing apart. I put it back together. I, you know, look at it, I understand it, I figure out how it works, um, and I decide what upgrades I want, and I build it like the 1022 we were talking about earlier today. You know, there's tons of aftermarket parts for those things. You can make it look like and do anything you want it to do. So I just felt like it was a good place to start. Um, and, uh, you know, I won't ever trade it. Like, I've never traded any of my guns, but I'll build the next one. So I'm I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction. So... My first AR I built from every single you just want to be every different. single part, <laughs> and my thought process was, well, why am I going to buy one when I'm just gonna I'm gonna spend whatever seven hundred bucks and then I'm gonna get rid of the handle? Well, that's more money that you know I just wasted. Because then you have two guns, not just one. <laughs> I wouldn't say get rid of the handle because you're not gonna throw it away. That's true. That's true. And I didn't get rid of it, right? But. What I would say is this. I, so for me, it was a father-son project. I did it with my dad. It was a little bit special. Um, and I don't regret it. I don't regret doing it. But what I would say is this, and this alludes to what both of you said. I would do a hybrid of my original answer and what you guys said. And that is, I would buy one, but I would buy one that is like as bare bones as possible and spend the least amount of money as I could f- find one, which is what Keith pretty much did. I was going to say, I think yes. that's what I did. Because like, why spend money on like, you know, a Daniel def- defense and then change the trigger and then cha- you buy a, a five to $700 rifle and then you start putting in a better stock and a better this. I think that that's a nice way for the average person to do it. I don't regret yeah. what I did. I don't regret what I did. Don't get me wrong. I learned about the platform um, and I kind of just like tinkering. But for the, for most people, if you're the average person, you're listening to this show, Buy a, a six hundred dollar AR and then start, you know, tinkering with it because there's so much you can do with them. Exactly, and you know, because you don't you don't know if you if you want to make it a you know a long gun. You don't want you know you want to shoot the six the six hundred yards, or if you want something for a three gun where you're up and close. Yeah, I got to tell you, I mean, I started looking at um, handguards. I mean, and I went on SLR. 
There are hundreds <laughs> of hundreds of handguards. I was like, gee, well, how am I going to pick one of these? It's like, it's like, it's like Barbie doll, but for men. You can yeah, do oh, it. yeah, totally. It really is. It's so true. Yeah, Dave, Dave, we had um, Andrew Geisler on the show. Oh, nice. And yeah, and he he was looking for he he was going through his permit process, and then this whole thing happened, and he uh, he was looking for an AR, he couldn't find one, and we hooked him up. We 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 hooked him up with a uh, uh, an FFL that we know, and he got one. And he's a big like tinkers with his cars, and like I said, it's like the Honda Civic of guns. Like you can get anything you want, right? Oh, it, it yeah. definitely is, you know. And I still have uh, the first AR I got when I got out of the service, and I have a. Well, the laws were standing, but I just find it easier to have multiple uppers. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely an option, right? I'm actually looking at maybe getting like a nine millimeter upper and then, uh, having like a pistol caliber carbine. Well, I can tell you, you know, not to, not to, uh, get on a tangent, but have you seen the Ruger? I love carbine? it. I love it, dude. That could take the Glock magazines too. I love it. I love it. It's so, so sweet. Have you seen the new one with the free floating handguard? have like oh. it's not buying geese i'll buy that <laughs> do you buy show your rolls or no yeah i have i have some of them <laughs> that's why man you're spending you're buying expensive geese that's your problem i don't know where my wife is right now so i can't i'm not gonna say how many <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad we all have the same type Absolutely. of Absolutely. <laughs> well i think it's time for the boys to sit around and shoot the shit so today we are going to discuss would you rather get into a knife fight or a gunfight, and why? But I am going to put a condition on this. With the knife fight in particular, you are engaged, meaning your back's against the wall. You're already tied up with someone. You can't run. You can't just outrun the person. I can't. I can't outrun anybody. <laughs> you must engage. You, you cannot run away, Keith. Dave, you and I need to call bullshit on this and get out of this. No, this this question was designed for Dave because I know Dave has a strong opinion here, and I want to hear it. Okay, gunfight. Okay, why? I'd rather be in the gunfight. Uh, first reason, with that kind of adrenaline dump, even at those short ranges, a lot of people miss. Okay. Second reason. Most other than a headshot, most gunshots can be stopped the bleeding versus a knife. A knife's uh, what, what's the old the old saying, right? Going into a knife fight, you have to expect to get cut. Yep, hundred percent. So you're definitely going to get hurt. Definitely. Um, in the field, it's easier to stop a the, the it's easier to to help the wound from a gun than it is from a knife, especially depending on the kind of knife and depending on the action of the knife. You know, if you get somebody in between the ribs and you twist the knife quarter turn, you know, you're not going to suture that. Right. Whereas gun, if you do get shot, you know, um, depending where you get shot, it could pass through and it could be nothing. So I think I'd rather go be in the gunfight. I think there's, there's, there's a greater chance where I won't get hurt from the gun compared to the knife. Okay. I was just going to say, it's almost like you're saying the knife is mightier than the gun. At that at that range, absolutely. Yeah, and that and at, at Mike's at Mike's crazy yeah. specific well, scenario, because yeah, obviously, if you can outrun somebody, you're going to choose you're going to choose the knife fight. If you can outrun them, but the point is, you have to be engaged because that's the point, right? Like if you're if you can outrun them, then you obviously you're going to not choose. I just was going to say the gunfight because I just don't want to be that close to anybody to be in a knife fight. <laughs> that's fair. 
I mean, listen, I, you know, it's funny. I thought somebody would choose the knife fight and I actually thought it might've been you, Dave, because your military experience, I thought maybe you have a little bit of training in that. Um, I, I, I also, I'm going to, and I ahead. think that's why I choose the gun. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm going to go, I, I'm going to clean sweep here. I, I'm going to go gunfight and my reasoning very similar to yours, Dave, I could actually just take your answers and, and go with it, but to add a little bit. With the gunfight, there's a lot of tactics that go into it, right? So there's there's cover and concealment, right? If there's stuff to get behind, I feel a lot better about the situation. There is a high likelihood that bullets will miss. Um, also, if you've just Google knife cuts, it is brutal looking, brutal. Look at videos of prison fights where they like a uh, sewing machine, just da 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 like just like just stabbing away. It's brutal. And I once listened to a show where they talked about the fact that if you have a knife on you and you use it in a fight, a jury is much more likely to find you guilty, believe it or not, than a gun. Because mm-hmm. people just think, oh, it's a knife. It's a knife. Like, why, why did you have to do that? It was just a knife. They don't realize how vicious knives can be. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Dave, and I'm going to end it with your, your comment. And that is knives, you are going to get cut. And you are going to bleed badly. Yep. And I think you hit the nail on the head. So clean sweep. Everyone goes for the gunfight. Hopefully we're never in in either of those. But uh, I just love that we all played the odds of most people will miss. (laughs) (laughs) You can see, look at some of those dash cam videos, whether there's like a cop on one side of the car and a guy on the other side of the car, and they're both blasting away at each other and missing. Yeah. I mean, I think, Dave, I mean, I know, Mike, you and I, I think would agree on this. Dave, I think you'll agree, too. Most people that have a gun or, you know, uh, or access to an illegal gun, even, they don't practice shooting it. They don't go buy ammunition and, and you know, practice like we do. Yep. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I forget who said it on some, one of the episodes, but said, like, you know, Ah, the first time I'm going to shoot this gun is the only time I'm going to need it, or something like that. Like that was that was me with yeah, a joke. Yeah, like I mean, like, it's, you know, a lot of people have that mentality, though. You know, so yeah. No, I I think um, yeah. So we're in lockstep here. Sounds like gunfight. All right. Well, um, Dave, that's about it, man. I want to thank you. You have enlightened us with quite a bit on the reloading world, and uh, you're a great guest. You contributed a lot to both. Uh, mixing it up and, and shooting the shit so thank you so much for being on the show well, thanks for having me I had a great time I mean, awesome hey, man I'd love, have, I'd love <laughs> to have you back man yeah well I'll be calling you at some point Dave I might be bugging Mike to bring your number soon. absolutely yeah give, 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 get my number from Mike I mean if you want, you want to come over the house see what I got going on downstairs I'd be more than happy yeah that would be cool definitely thank you for the invite awesome yeah. thank you so much yeah, alright yeah. if you like this episode there's a few ways you can support the show one You can start by hitting that subscribe button and share button. Next, it's super helpful if you leave us a positive review on iTunes. This helps us get ranked higher and lets other people discover us. We'll be sure to read your reviews on future episodes. Finally, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Gun Experiment so we can keep the conversation going. Dave, thank you so much again for being on the show. Really appreciate it. 